And I think in being able to romanticize my life, it made me not see my life as a movie, but it enabled me to craft a narrative where the hard things that were happening were not just happening to me, they were happening for me. So welcome back to the Maria Thatil Show. I am really excited about today's episode because we are going to talk about why and how you should romanticize your life. And this is from someone who has been doing this actively for the last few years. And honestly, I think it's made a tremendous impact in how I show up, what's manifested and what I've been able to create from that energy, but also how I think about things that aren't always so pleasant. And I think for many people, when you think of what romanticizing your life is, you might get caught up in, is it a little bit narcissistic? Is it, you know, main character energy, but to the point I like Delulu, (laughs) but, you know, I want to explain why from a psychology perspective, it's actually really, really beneficial for your life. So after I explain what it is, I'm then going to give you four different ways you can romanticize yours. Let's do it. So romanticizing your life is a trend that I actually saw on TikTok that gained, you know, virality. Actually, I should play the clip. You have to start romanticizing your life. You have to start thinking of yourself as the main character. Because if you don't, life will continue to pass you by. And all the little things that make it so beautiful will continue to go unnoticed. So take a second and look around and realize that it's a blessing for you to be here right now. So what I loved about that clip, you know, as cheesy as some of you may find it, what I love about it is when you look through the sound on TikTok and you see how people have used it, they've taken things that are just seemingly like simple or mundane and they've made it these beautiful, inspiring, moving little montages. And I think, again, like I said, many people think it's bringing same main character energy and it's about acting like your life is a movie. And for some that might feel a little bit cringe or Am I being self-indulgent? And that is something that I used to think when I guess, you know, before I started romanticizing my life. But now I think about it and, and I think it's so much more. And I've come to see it as a way to really, really improve the quality of your life, but also to manifest and create and receive in your life because it's about meaning, right? And it's what we come to believe is like the meaning of things. And and that has huge control over how we experience and co-create in life. And I think it's in my book, Unbounded as well. I use the language co-create because, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with my spiritual beliefs, I think, you know, whether you want to call it source or God or Allah or whatever you prefer to refer to, you know, a greater intelligence, I think we're so connected to that and we're constantly working with that to create things in our life. And again, I've talked about it in Unbounded, but I think the ability to create and manifest it comes from your thoughts and your energy and your action being aligned. And so where does romanticizing your life tie into this? Well, I think it's effectively, you know, a form of mindfulness that requires presence and it helps you to see and appreciate the beauty in your life and what's good about your life in a way that enables you to really feel gratitude and peace and joy and see goodness. And so I 
want to talk to you about it from a psychology perspective because that is my background. And so when you think about the trend, think beyond what you might think it is for a minute because there are common themes in, say, Buddhist practices, like I said, with mindfulness. But also then there's this Danish tradition and it is so cute. I looked it up. If you look it up on Pinterest or TikTok, you're going to love it. It's called Huga. I think that's how you pronounce it. But it's pretty much this feeling like it's this concept where it talks about this feeling of like cozy contentment and well-being and like small joys, you know, simple everyday things like maybe having a hot chocolate by the fire when it's absolutely storming outside, but it, it feels warm. It's light. It, it brings you joy. And look, talking about really sweet concepts like Hugo, I want to acknowledge one thing. Yeah, it's easy in, you know, easier in Scandinavian regions for people to appreciate the simple joys because their big needs are met. You know, they're coming from regions where they've got universal health care, they've got social security, paid family leave, you know, free university education. So when you're not worried about your basic needs being met, yeah, you're better able to see the small joys. So for anyone who's listening and you're feeling like it's really hard for me to see the simple joys in my life because I actually have serious threats to the big needs of mine being met. I want to say I hear you because I went through a period of time where, you know, my family and I, we were worried about us losing our home. So it was hard to romanticize my life when I'm like, I don't know where we're going to live. But that is why I want to stress the importance of doing something like this because it was in the ability to romanticize my life and find meaning and see something bigger that I was able to find joy and happiness even in those dark moments. So let's talk about romanticizing your life, but from a psychological perspective, um, because for anyone who knows me, I don't like just talking about the fluffy stuff like I need to know how and why and so I came across this concept in positive psychology called savoring and so it's basically the ability to find sanctuary in everyday life so it's how do you create your bliss and there's a lot of research on it that has suggested that it has a positive impact on your mood outcomes so if you look at savoring mechanisms they help you turn raw stuff in daily life into positive affect. So it's taking the raw, simple things and turning it into really positive experiences. And we know that when it comes to functioning as best as we can and having a broad mindset and being able to adequately use and compartmentalize our physical, intellectual, our social and psychological resources and just flourish, right? Like we need positive emotions to do that. And so when I was looking at research on this, people who are habitual savers, so the people who, you know, practice these little processes like quite often, they are more likely to be able to experience positive mood even in the absence of discrete positive events. And this is in comparison to people who don't savor and consistently savor positive daily events. So basically, if you do practice savoring or romanticizing your life and things like this, you are better able to make the most of the least compared to people who don't. And, and all of this, you know, when we're able to appreciate and find the joy, it enables us to better enjoy love, truth, beauty, community, God, whatever it is that, you know, makes you feel connected and alive. It better enables you to experience that. So I was reading this research and it was it was an interview with somebody named Rachel Hoffman, the chief clinical officer at a mental health startup. And in an interview with a publication called Self, Rachel was saying that zooming in on the details of your life can increase gratitude and joy. And so I want to talk about how you can do that 
why it's important. And I'll tell you how I did it too, because I find that it's not just about being happy and and creating these opportunities for positive emotions in your everyday life, but it's when things get really, really hard. Being able to practice this, I think that's how you're able to find meaning, turn things into a narrative that serves you, make it a story and develop a sense of resilience when things aren't going right. So how do you romanticize your life? What did I do? And what are my four key steps? I'll tell you shortly. So interrupting this episode with the Ask Maria segment. We are back. We haven't done it in a while. I guess we have done a couple of episodes where we've taken in listener questions and things like that, but I'm excited to be back with the segment. Blake, it's three questions. I have one minute to answer each. What's my first question? Okay. So this first one, it says, hey, Maria, obsessed with the pod. I want to romanticize my life, but TBH, it's giving home and away or neighbors. It's messy and it's unpredictable. How do I start seeing my life in a better lens? I love that. If your life is giving home and away and neighbors, what's my life giving? Bloody American horror story. I'm telling you some of the things (laughs) over the last few years that have gone down have been crazy. But I guess the first thing you need to do to be able to see your life in a better lens is to accept what you can't change. And I think it is about accepting what you can't change, being hopeful about what you can And that requires you to know the difference. And so even when there are really hard things that you feel are messy and complicated and it's like a drama or whatever it is, you know, listen to the rest of this episode because we talk about how you can find the gift of a lesson even in those moments. So that's what I'd say to you. I'd say realize that these things aren't happening to you. They're happening for you. And what's the gift? Ask yourself that. And on to our next one. This one says, I'm not sure if this question relates to romanticizing your life, but I have a friend I'm concerned about. She uses romanticizing her life to forget about past traumas, and I love that this helps her, but it almost feels like she is now living in her own universe and refuses to accept any hard truths as it doesn't suit her plot. Am I a bad friend, and should I step in here? No, and I love that question, and I do think it's such an important reminder that romanticizing your life and living, you know, and having a narrative in your head sometimes, you know, in certain situations, can it go a little bit far? Can it sometimes be a coping mechanism where people protect themselves from facing uncomfortable truths? Absolutely. And so as a friend, I think if you have that kind of a relationship where you can be honest and you can express your concerns in a way that's safe, you know, how you're feeling and and what your concerns are, definitely do it. Um, If your friend is perhaps engaging in behaviors where you genuinely feel there is a concern for this person's health and safety, I think you do have a responsibility to talk to somebody, you know, professionally that can help them. But I think a really big thing is as a friend, yes, you have a duty of care to be honest about your concerns, but you're also not responsible for someone else. And all you can do is be honest and truthful and try and connect them to the support that they need and those resources. But don't take on too much. And I think this is really important, especially as someone who has historically been a fixer. I feel like I need to step in and save the day for someone else. It's like, be honest with someone else and try and help them to think objectively. But people will only think and open their mind when they're ready to. So do it with that grace. And lastly, Maria, I try so hard to romanticize my life, but I'm far too much of a skeptic. 
Each time I try, my brain outsmarts me and convinces me that life really isn't that great. Any tips on how I can start romanticizing my life? Absolutely. I think your awareness that you feel like your thought patterns are sabotaging you a little bit, the awareness that you have there, you've already started. You've written in and you've started and you've asked the question. So you recognize that this is a pattern that you have. It's a pattern you can break. And so a really good way to break that instead of shutting yourself down is I, and this is just me, I love doing this, journaling. Because I think it's a really nice way to keep record of how your thoughts are evolving because they will evolve the more you do this. But they say it takes 30, you know, 30 days to form a habit. I would say every day when you journal, try and look for something that is you know it brings you joy no matter how seemingly small it is whether it's that you woke up this morning and you walked outside and the sun felt nice on your skin it's moments where you genuinely no matter how big or small you enjoyed it and start tracking it every single day and try and keep this up for a month and then see how over time it gets a little bit easier and even when you have those moments where you feel like okay everything's turning to shit and you know life really isn't that great Try and write that through and challenge it yourself because you have the ability to interrupt that negative dialogue. You have the ability to rewrite your narrative and it just comes with practice in challenging it. And also if, you know, there as a mental health advocate, if there is something else going on there that is affecting your affect and your mood and you're feeling like it's these depressive episodes where you're struggling to see hope, you know, do talk to someone because there are professional services that exist to help you because sometimes we need a little bit of help and that's okay. But I think the fact that you're asking the questions, you've already started, my love. It's amazing. How do you romanticize your life? Well, I'll start by saying when I say it's a form of mindfulness, I don't mean you clear your thoughts and you do nothing. But all I'm asking is that you are a little bit more aware of what's happening around you, accepting things as they are without judgment Paying attention to what you see in here, you know, it's it's about presence and it's about presence in your life no matter what's going on and still trying to find your bliss and, and sanctuary, like we were saying when we were talking about savoring. So being able to do that, it's proven by research to reduce symptoms of anxiety, depression and your general irritability. And so I've come up with four different broad umbrellas and I've got a few tips under each, but four different things you can do to romanticize your life and I'll give you a little story first. When I first started doing it, I'd say it was in 2019 to 2020. And if you go to chapter one of my book, Unbounded, where I talk about when I hit a bit of a crossroads and an all-time low, I was going through a long-term breakup. I had had to move back home with my parents. Um, This is after they lost the family home, so they were living in a rental I had a lot of financial debt and I really just wasn't happy in my job. It was before Miss Universe. It was before anything. Life was just kind of hard but I would say the ability to romanticize my life and find meaning it helped me to see these things that were going on as you know there's going to be a gift of a lesson in this there's going to be something in this that serves me in some way that's going to make me better and I think in being able to romanticize my life it made me not see my life as a movie but it enabled me to craft a narrative where the hard things that were happening were not just happening to me But importantly, they were happening for me. And so if you're listening and you're going through something, I want you to listen to the next four tips and think about how you can apply it to your life. And even if things are tough, romanticize yours, because even when things are rough, you can still find the gift and and use it to serve you. And that's what I firmly believe. So step number one 
is curate your space. And there's a couple of different ways you can do it. But if you think about romanticizing your life, and like I said, you see it as a story or a movie and you're thinking about yourself as the protagonist, you know, you're the main character. What kind of soundtrack would you listen to? And what do you need influencing your thoughts so you can start crafting this narrative in your head? I would say a couple of good things is create a curated life playlist. And so I've got one that I call everything that I like, and it's the most random playlist of music that is everything from 90s to very early 2000s Spice Girls to current like electronic music and then a bit of G Flip. And it's like anything that makes me happy, I put it on that playlist and I like to listen to it. And it just, you know, curates my space for joy and bliss and enjoyment. And similarly, keep some go-to podcasts as well. And I think when I say curate your space, I'm talking about, you know, shedding, and that's actually chapter four in my book, shed anything and curate your space, getting rid of anything that doesn't serve your higher self-concept or what your vision for your life is. And that might be friendships. It might be a job you're not happy in if you have the privilege of being able to change jobs. It might be, you know, where you're living. I do recognize there's a massive cozy lives crisis. So I'm just saying, you know, there might be things in your life that require you to take a bit of a step back or if you can change and do that. Because like I said, you are the protagonist. This is about your life and what brings you the most joy. Anything that doesn't serve you, you might need to say goodbye, but I think it's worth doing. The next tip I would say is stop saving, which is not in the financial sense. Save, save, save. But what I mean is, you know how we, I, I guess, we'll buy new clothes and we'll save it for a special occasion. Or if we're going somewhere, we say, oh, it's just a, it's a small dinner, so I just can't be bothered doing my hair and my makeup, which is also fine. But I just mean it's, you know, we save things for an occasion, but I'm going to encourage you to try and think of yourself and your life as the occasion. And so one thing that I said I would do, and I'm, I swear it just attracted like a different energy into my life. I had this philosophy for 2023 at the start of the year where I said to myself, okay, I spent all of 2022 writing a book and that meant that I just lived in active wear because I couldn't be bothered thinking about outfits and things like that, whatever. I wanted to promise myself that this year I was going to make a more concerted effort to dress, you know, in color and vibrancy. And I was very inspired by Emily in Paris. So I'm like, right, this is my year of Emily in Paris dressing. But what I loved is that the character Emily, she just shows up for everyday life. And yes, I know it's unrealistic, but we love that about Darren Star Productions. She shows up in the most extravagant, beautiful outfits just for every day in the office. And I think we can do that. And so what I did this year was if I had a dinner or a meeting or whatever, I might usually just say, I'm not going to wear the cute thing or put that much thought into it and just sort of go into what's comfortable. But I actually put in effort. I spent five minutes a night before thinking of an outfit for the day and I just showed up differently. I had a different spring in my step. I think I wrote a column about it called dopamine dressing, but it's just doing little things and not saving those moments for you know, a time or an occasion that deserves it. I think part of romanticizing your life is recognizing that this very moment, you you deserve it now. So stop saving. And on that, I would also say date yourself, which I think ties into stop saving because so many of us save beautiful activities or, you know, spending time intentionally for a partner or for someone else. But I think it's really important if you do want to change how you feel about your life, you, you give back to you and, and fill your own cup so that you're not pouring from an empty one. And so when I say date yourself, 
that can mean whatever the hell you want it to mean. It means have an idea with a vibrator or it just means spending more time intentionally with yourself, however that looks. Um, but I think it's about getting to know yourself better and a really cool way to do it when you are trying to romanticize your life and find the joy is do things that challenge you and scare you a little bit. Like for me, I get this stupid social anxiety sometimes. No, it's not stupid. I'm not going to, you know, invalidate it. I do get social anxiety sometimes being in public spaces by myself so sometimes this is so lame, but when I'm shopping, I'll pretend to be on the phone because I'm like embarrassed to be alone and like in an aisle looking at bread or something. So I'll put my AirPods in and if someone walks past, I'll pretend to have a conversation. It's like, that is something that challenges me. So what do I, what am I going to do? I'm going to try and date myself and have moments where I am alone in a public setting and I'm not going to try and pretend that there's someone on the phone or I'm busy or doing something. It's okay for me to take myself out to coffee and just sit in the cafe and read a book. You know, so it's little things like that that I'm doing to sort of get back to myself and have little moments with myself because I don't need to save them for someone else and do things that you love. Like for me, it's spending time in nature. And again, it's just why do we reserve the best things for occasions and people that aren't us? I think if you really want to romanticize your life, you recognize that you're worth it too. Take note. That is my third step. And this is about presence and mindfulness. And this is definitely something that I do. But journaling, there are so many perks to it. It has such a profound effect on your mental health and your emotional well-being and your ability to process things. So, you know, you can go and see the, the widespread benefits of journaling anywhere, but do that. But I also find that when I journal, for me, it's a way of like logically organizing my thoughts. If I'm going through something difficult, so let's take away the sunshine and rainbows for a minute. If I've just had an argument with a partner or I'm going through something with my family and it feels like all my thoughts are just in my head and my anxiety is flaring them up and making them just do little circles, I will journal and just write down everything until, you know, automatically my thoughts start to logically organize themselves and I start to process how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. And I feel like if you are trying to romanticize your life and create bliss, a big part of that is understanding why you have challenges and how it affects you. And I do think that journaling enables you to be present with emotions, however they look, and that helps you process it. Another little thing that I did, which is a little bit more if you're, if you do want to share things on social media, and I recognize not everybody does, but one thing I started doing at the start of the year, because last year I was having a lot of mental health issues because of a gut bug that I had and it was really affecting my hormones and my mood which I'm so grateful it's been sorted but at the time I didn't know I had it and I was like oh my god why am I having these depressive episodes and there were some days where I really couldn't even get out of bed I was also learning because I was two years into this new media career I was also learning how to be at peace when I wasn't in a peak period of like projects being announced and doing stuff and being okay with a little bit of it's okay to just sit still for a moment. And so what I did to try and combat feeling really low, but also feeling okay with not constantly achieving something, which I've spoken about on previous podcasts, what I did was I'd start to make these little video diaries of my everyday. It doesn't matter what it was, but I'd be like, spend the day with me. And I would just capture little moments in my everyday and I liked that because even if I wasn't doing crazy work things or it was just a day where I got up in the morning, had a coffee, worked out, went for a walk, I'd create these little videos and I didn't care whether they got a lot of views or whatever it was. It was almost like a way of me keeping myself accountable and starting to look for the good in my everyday. And I've stopped doing it actually for a few months. But I think 
when you do that, it's similar to, you know, journaling, you know, gratitude journaling. And that's a whole other thing. I will do an episode on gratitude, but it's like, you know, when people ask you, okay, what are three things that you're grateful for and asking you to list it? It's because when you get in the habit of doing that, looking for three things to be grateful for, looking for things to document as part of your happy little video diaries, when you get in the habit and train yourself to keep looking for that, over time, you start to train yourself and rewire your brain to automatically notice those things without you having to put in so much effort. And so I found that by journaling and creating these little videos and taking note, I rewired my brain to take note of things that were really beautiful that maybe I lost when I wasn't being present. And the last one is create moments. And this is a little bit cheesier, but it is, you know, creating those movie moments. And it's taking the little things in your life, like watering your houseplants or grating cheese or getting stuck in the rain and actually laughing about it. I know it sounds really cheesy, but one thing I've started doing is I never thought I was a houseplants girl, but every Monday I really look forward to going to my organic grocer. I get all my fresh fruit and I also get fresh flowers for my house and I live alone. So it's not like I'm doing it and so somebody else sees it or whatever it is. It's just a little thing that I like to do for me. And it's just a, a little moment, like putting up fresh flowers every week because I'm worth it. And I think that, you know, we again, it comes back to that point about saving it. I used to save decorating my house and doing those things for guests. But now every week, that's a moment that I choose to create for myself. Another thing I think that creates little moments is doing beautiful deeds. And it's just something that will stay with you that you might not have considered before but it stays with you as that that was a really beautiful thing that felt nice I remember and see it's it's so vivid in my mind and this happened three years ago but it was something that could have been ordinary but we created something out of it when I won Miss Universe I received a lot of flowers from like brand partners family friends I think there were like 40 bunches of flowers in my house like it was a florist and I'm like well what am I going to do with all these flowers and mum dad and I gathered them all up loaded them in the car and we drove around nearby suburbs and put little notes on them and dropped them off at random doorsteps and to this day I am grinning ear to ear thinking about it but that was like a little special movie moment that I got to share with my parents. And it was just a nice thing. We didn't we didn't put our names on it. We didn't do anything. We just created a moment where otherwise you might have kept the flowers and just, I don't know, they would have just wilted eventually. And, and that's that. But we decided to create an opportunity to maybe pass on the joy for someone else. And the last thing I'll say to create moments is just tell people how you feel. Tell them you love them. I was watching a movie on Netflix last night. It's called like Love It against the odds or something it's like some really it was a great movie and one of the things that I found really interesting in it was one of the characters is a boy meets girl kind of movie and the boy his mum was holding a memorial before she passed away because she wanted to be there to hear all the nice things that people said about her and she's like well what's the point of you know people saying all these nice things if I'm not here she was dying and she's like I'm gonna have the memorial and I want to be present to celebrate with people that I love and it got me thinking about this last point which I added on this morning after watching that movie I think so many of us wait to tell people how we feel we wait till we feel safe we wait till it's urgent we wait till you know oh no somebody's sick somebody's hurt and I just think that's one thing that you'll never regret doing, telling someone you love them or telling someone they're beautiful. And whether it's sending a random text message right now because you're listening to this podcast or writing a card to someone or writing a letter, it's a beautiful opportunity to create gratitude and love. And I don't think it gets any better when it comes to romanticizing your life than experiencing that. And on that note, 
This is the Marie Thatil Show on how to romanticize your life. I just feel it's a really beautiful way to see the magic in commonplace. And, you know, it's just fundamentally, you can look at all these little things and Google it and, and implement this stuff. But all it is, is it's the art of enjoying where you're at and appreciating beauty and significance in the everyday because there's so much of that. And so I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you want to hear next. I'm Maria Thatil and I loved romanticizing life with you.